Ephesians 6, verses 5 through 9. Bond servants, obey your masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ. Put not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bondservant or is free. Masters, do the same to them. Stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and that there is no partiality with him. Any slaves? Come on, don't go all spiritual on me. I get we're slaves of Christ. Don't, don't jump my sermon, Lillian. Any vocational slaves? Any vocational masters? Let's head downstairs and eat. Should we talk about the elephant in the room? You want, you want, a, you want a little Sunday humor? You want a joke? Sure. Do you know that the sound an elephant makes cannot be spelled? Think about it. <laughs> now I'm like, <laughs> why don't we focus on the text? Now y'all are going to, remember that sermon about slaves and masters, the elephant sound? Yeah, it's like, then Quran would be like, I wish Dylan would preach more. <laughs> Let's talk about the elephant in the room. What is the deal with this text. Shouldn't it read, bond servants, can we, can we just put out Greek, doulos, slave, that's what it says? It means, specifically, a person who is legally owned by someone else and whose entire livelihood and purpose is determined by their master. So you got the watered-down translation. Slaves, get out of your slavery. Masters, there is no place in the household of God for slave ownership. Free your slaves. Why doesn't it say that? Should we talk about Philemon for a minute? I return to Onesimus. He shall no longer be a slave. He shall be a free man, for you are both in Christ. No, that's not what Paul said. What's the deal, Leo? What, what, why, why? Why doesn't God say there's no place for slavery in the kingdom of God? He gives instructions for slaves. Work harder. As if you're working for Christ, work for your master. Number one, when you've got a problem with Scripture, realize the problem's with you, not Scripture. Right? God, God what's wrong with you? You don't know what you're talking about. Let's get that squared away. Second, don't, don't go with slogans. Go with all of Scripture. Scripture interprets Scripture. See, now I'm starting to move, and now it hurts more. Uh, Exodus 21, 16, 1 Timothy 1, 9 through 10. God hates slavery, but he allows it for a period of time. He allows it as he carries out his grand redemptive plan. Why? I don't. No, but don't misunderstand. This is not advocating for slavery. 
This is equipping believers to live in the world that God has placed in a fallen world for his glory as he calls them to. Putting the priorities in place. Yes, if we're enabled to affect change in society, we should. But our first goal is not to reform society, it's to reconcile people to God. You tracking with me? It's to bring people to a knowledge of God and then teach them to live under God as his people, not to reform the world. However, as we live under God as his people through us, God may choose to reform the world. Do you know what happened to slavery in the UK and USA? William Wilberforce, John Newton, men who came to faith in a position of providence by God to effect massive change began to reform the world. God works through his people where he places them as they live as he calls them to, to change the world as he so desires. But our primary goal is never to stop slavery, it's to view the larger slavery. It's not to stop all injustice, it's to view the larger injustice. It's not to make every wrong right, it's to allow God to make all wrongs right, affecting where we can, how God calls us to, overcoming good with evil. Slavery is an abomination before the Lord, and the Lord will have vengeance upon all enslavers, don't misunderstand. The Lord can stop slavery at any moment he desires on this earth, and it still does exist. But the job of the church is not to reform the world, it's to save souls, and as souls are saved one heart at a time, the world is affected by the church. You tracking with me? So this is not God saying, y'all go get a slave and work them good, and you slaves do what you're told and quit backtalking, not with eye service, but as if you're working for Christ. No, 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 no. This is God saying, in the household economy, submission and authority function to the glory of God. In this corrupt, fallen, sin-infested world, God says, let me deal with the world. You deal with your relationship with me and then live with me for my glory and your good and let me take care of how I use you to change the world. You want to be a world changer? Sorry, you ain't Jesus. But Jesus can use you to change portions of the world for his glory as he intends. When my child grows up, they're going to change the world. Only Yahweh can say that. can talk about that downstairs. But this is no um, advocating by God to say, yeah, I got no problem with slavery. It's God accommodating a sinful, corrupted, heinous institution because he is seeking to reconcile sinners to himself. We good? It's not the main point of the text, though. We'll get there. It's a strange text. It's really not complicated. Let's just pull a couple pieces. We'll have a relatively short sermon today because my back is just barking. This chair is horrible for my back. We'll see how I may take that rocking chair. I don't know. We'll see. Take a five-minute break in the middle. Bond servants, obey your masters with fear and trembling. What's that mean? Respect. Jerry says respect. Let's stereotype it. Okay. 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 Fear and trembling. It's Quran's parenting technique, he told me. Yes, Daddy. You ever hear fear and trembling in Scripture? Work out your salvation with what? Paul was in a Corinth, and he had much fear and trembling. What's, what's, what's fear and trembling about? 
work out your salvation. Scared because you might not be saved. Don't upset God. He going to get you, sucker. Bad boys, bad boys. What you going to do? One of the great hymns of the church. What you going to do when he comes for you? You didn't know that? I didn't even know the next line, but it sounds like, it's Greek. Um, what does that mean, fear and trembling? It means work out your salvation with fear and trembling, with a, a healthy goal of not dishonoring God or blaspheming his reputation. That was Paul's issue in Corinth. He was terrified he would misrepresent God in the gospel. That's what caused him fear and trembling. As we work out our salvation with a fear and trembling, a, a healthy desire to not misrepresent the God who is. Bond servants, live your lives with fear and trembling through a sincere heart. Don't misrepresent God. Fight to labor in light of who you are and who God is. Now, y'all might not be slaves, but some of you are employees. Some of y'all are employers. When you work, why you work? For that money. No! You work to represent God. Your labor, the way you labor, represents as an ambassador for Christ, the Christ who sent you. How much time as husbands and wives and parents and in our vocation do we think through how we live communicates to the world who God is? To the brothers and sisters in Christ, who God is? Perhaps at times the worst apologetic for the church are the people of God. Hang around me too often. You'd be like, who's this Jesus that you love so much? I don't know, my back hurts. But trust in him. We... We need to be thinking Ephesians 1, 2, 3, 4, so we can live 5, 6. He's saying, live with fear and trembling, obeying your earthly masters with a sincere heart as you would Christ. Wives, submit to your husbands as you would Christ. Children, obey your parents as you would Christ. Slaves, obey your masters as you would Christ. Lillian jumped the whole thing to finish my sermon before me. Y'all are doulases of Christ. But y'all got an incredibly kind master who calls you friend, who calls you brother, who saved you to be his sibling with a common father. Our father, not just our here, Jesus included in the our. What a joy for us to know that our labor in Christ will never be in vain. We're not to labor with eye service. What's that mean? Don't just work when you're being watched. Work knowing that God's eye is upon you. We'll get to that in a moment. A marvelous encouragement for the church. Masters, bosses, boss, master, lead as Christ leads you. Not threatening. If you don't do this, I'm going to fire you. If you don't do this, I'm going to inflict financial pain on you. I'm not saying there's not a place for firing somebody. But understand, this is just living in light of the reality of who God is. This is a really simple, straightforward text. You don't even need me to preach it. I mean, just look at it. Obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling with a sincere heart as you would Christ. You're in that job to point to Christ. You're, you're enabled by Christ to live in light of who he is. Our goal is to know Christ intimately, rest in him joyfully, and then walk in light of that truth. 
Imagine yet, well, we'll get, we'll get, you know what, let's just go there. There's a sign I meant to grab out of that little room over there that says, God is watching. Preach you on for a minute. He's watching you. So he knows your search history. He knows your online habits. He knows all your thoughts. He knows when you smile at me. He knows what you're thinking right now. He hears Jerry going, when will he stop talking? <laughs> Pay attention. Does that frighten you or encourage you? He knows everything about you. You tell me, does that frighten you or encourage you? Well, it shouldn't. Knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bondservant or free. I mean, chew on, chew on this. But believers have an incredibly hard time with this, and I don't understand why. We're going to all be judged as saints. All of our works as saints will be judged. 2 Corinthians 5, judgment seat of Christ for believers, giving an account. 1 Corinthians 1 Corinthians 3.11, same premise. Your works can't save you. They can't make you lose your salvation. But you'll give an account for every single work. Good news, bad news. You'll be rewarded for all the good you do. Pastor, that's not right. God doesn't reward us. He enables us to do it. We're not getting rewarded. We got to take that up with God. It's pretty clear. He rewards his people for walking in obedience to him. And we lose rewards for disobedience. What kind of God is this? He rewards us for doing what we can only do if he enables us to. And bestows blessings of... What kind of prodigal God, you know what the word prodigal means? It doesn't mean what you think it means. What One who does abundantly and audaciously beyond what they should be doing. Why does God give to us such audacious gifts and blessings when there's no reason to? It's not just, I saved you, now just enough, I saved you, quick griping. I saved you, and I blessed you, and I blessed you, and I delight in you, and I bestow gifts upon you. And there's a point where if we see Jesus the right way, it's like, it's just too much. Stop. And he goes, no. I delight in giving good gifts to my children. But, but Dad, I don't deserve it. Exactly. But I delight in it. Whatever you're doing, whatever hardship you're going through, whatever difficulty at work, whatever abuse you face... Whatever wrong you've received, when you trust Jesus, he notices. He will not only make every wrong right, he will reward your faithfulness in the moment. So when your sibling goes, shut up, you don't have to respond the same way. You can respond with love, knowing that God sees your goodness. When you get passed over for the promotion that you know you deserve, you don't have to get angry. You get to respond in love and keep working, not with eye serving, but with fear and trembling for the glory of God, who was passed over for promotions, who humbled himself, 
to the point of death, even death on a cross. When someone wrongs you on the roadside, you don't need to smack them back. You need to love them up because Jesus was wronged on the roadside, wasn't he? He was, he was the good Samaritan, yes, but he was left for dead so that we might have life. He sees everything. If you just carry a log of rocks from here to there and there to here and here to there and there to here forever, you can do it to the glory of God. And he notices. What a joy to know that God is watching you. You are the apple of his eye. He is attentive to you. Take a slave and hear that Yahweh has his eye upon them. You know, when the the church gathered in Ephesus in Asia Minor, there were slaves who would gather with them. That's crazy talk. The society was far more structured than our society. Slaves didn't gather with with business proprietors and wealthy people who owned homes. But in the church, they sure did. You know, when you read in Acts, so-and-so and and their entire household came to, or or were baptized. When, When a master came to faith, the slaves got baptized. Because a slave had to do whatever the master did. They were part of the household, but not family members of the household. What Jesus is saying to the slave, not only are you part of the household, you are all one in Christ. You're not working for my people. You are my people. I am watching you because I delight in you. God is watching, is great news. Not only is he watching, not only will he have vengeance, Not only will he care for you, he rewards his people's faithfulness. People sometimes think in the church, well, that's not right. That's a wrong motive. Well, talk to God about it. Why do you think he made us with a desire to be motivated? We're not robots. Can you imagine living your whole life with no reciprocity or reward? I mean, I I, I guess theoretically Laura lives that way in, in the house, right? You're raising children and dealing with a husband, and that's just what life can feel like at times. I say that tongue-in-cheek. And, and Laura's nodding her head. Yes, that's absolutely tongue-in-cheek, and we'll just move on. What, what if you went to work, but you got no money? What if every job paid the same thing? What if what, God made us to be motivated by certain things, first and foremost, his glory, but you see his glory and character in the fact that what kind of God gifts those who just simply do what they're called to and enabled to do in Christ. And they don't even do it perfectly. It's only considered good because of the finished work of Christ being applied to it. You see, so, so our Lord is motivating his people, in particular here, the slaves amongst his people. Keep on keeping on. Remember who you are. Yes, you are a a bondservant. Yes, you are a slave of an earthly master, but you're more. Obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling with a sincere heart as you would obey Christ, your heavenly master, the true master, the king of kings. Not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from where? From the heart. 
Don't just do the right thing, do the right thing for the right reason. Well, how am I supposed to do that? I can't, God. Yes, you can. How can I? Because I said you can all do all things through Christ who strengthens you. I've given you my spirit. I'll never leave you nor forsake you. I've created in you a clean heart. I'm renewing within you a right spirit. Yes, you can obey my commands. Lord Jesus, help me. I will help you. Then look what he says on the back end of that. Knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he's a bondservant or free. You know, flip, flip over, if you will, 2 Corinthians 5. Oh, man, it's even hard to turn pages. I even use this then. 2 Corinthians 5, 9. No. Where am I at? Second Corinthians five. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. That's a marvelously encouraging text when you understand it. Anyone saved here? Any saved people ever do evil? Do you ever rejoice in your sin? Not for your sin, but in your sin. Do you ever rejoice in your sin? Rejoice always. What's the caveat? Do you ever rejoice in your sin? Do you ever rejoice when you do evil? How can you rejoice when you lose rewards? Well, well stick with me here. What do you do when you sin? What does scripture call us to do? If anyone does sin, remember what? You have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. So what do you do when you sin? Repent. Repent. And what does God do when you repent as his children? He forgives you. And when he forgives you, we can rejoice. You ever rejoice, not for your sin, but in your sin? Now, I'm not saying, well, shall we go on sinning that grace may abound? I wish God included something in scripture about that. That would have been helpful. Um, read Romans again. No, by no means, because that's not what we're saved to do. But when we sin, we realize we won't always sin. We realize where sin comes from. We realize we're not captive to sin. Come around next week as we look at the whole armor of God. I'm fired up for this section of scripture. It may fall flat on your face, but I'm excited. When we sin, we know that we won't always sin. We know that we're not captive to sin. We know that one day we'll be free from sin and we can rejoice that he who began a good work in us will bring it to completion. And as we marvel at our new identity in Christ and our new ability in Christ, we fight the good fight. We labor to live in fear and trembling so as to represent God well as we live in light of our new identity in Christ and then just floor ourselves. What kind of God is this who bestows rewards upon his people for bare minimum faithfulness? This is not a deity at a distance who says, do what I tell you to. This is a, you can't compare God to people because God is so much beyond people. 
but you take the kindest and best aspects of every person you know, and they might work as decent signposts pointing to who God is. See, you can peel parts and mess it up. I think of my pa, I've shared stories about my pa, who would come over every Sunday morning with bakery. We were Jewish, it was okay, we did temple on Saturday. That wasn't, you get what I'm saying? It's a joke, bad joke. He'd bring bakery, he'd bring us gifts, we'd go to the toy store, we'd go on vacation, I'd sleep over and I'd get fresh squeezed orange juice in the morning and I'd get ice cream in the evening and I'd get to get up at 4.30 in the morning and he'd wake me up. It's like, what kind of man is this who loved being around me so much that it seemed like I was the, the center of his attention? It's like it wasn't an obligation he had to watch me for my parents. He wanted to be around me and he took me to Big Top and said, pick out anything you want. And my sister always got the big gift, and I got a pack of cards. And I would, I would say one day, I said, Pa, why does Heather get the big gifts? He says, because I said, get anything you want, and she picked the big gift. He says, why would you get the pack of cards? I said, well, I didn't want to take something too big. And his response was, do you think I don't know what I can afford? There's an aspect of God in there, isn't it? But he's not the grandpa guy. Because one day I broke my pa's table. We were having a wrestling match, and I was Rowdy Roddy Piper, and I flipped my cousin Tyler, and the leg broke on the marble table. I won. We all went home. Got a phone call that night from my pa. Jonathan, do you know what happened to the table downstairs? Yeah, I, I, I broke it. Why didn't you tell me before you left? So I, was, I was afraid. He says, what are you afraid of? So I, I was just afraid you'd be mad. Element of sin in there. You know what he said to me? All wrongs need to be made right. It's a very expensive table. You'll pay for that the rest of your life. No, he didn't say that to me. He took care of it himself. Here's, here's where you lose the gospel. God doesn't say don't worry about it. When we sin against God, he doesn't say it's no big deal, but he does say I'll take care of that. It's too big of a deal for you to handle. The cost is too high. You have no idea. You didn't just break a little table. You sinned before a holy God. Not a God who is simply a, a kindly man that shows up on the weekends with baked goods. A God who is holy, holy, holy. A God who will, will not bring you to the toy store, but who dangles you over the depths of hell, which is where you deserve to go. A God who is, Psalm 5, your enemy. God loves the sinner but hates the sin. Wrong! God hates sinners. Because God cannot tolerate sin. But God is so gracious that he made a way to reconcile enemies and make them friends, to reconcile sinners and make them saints, to take what was dead and make it alive and make it his own as his very own child, adopted as firstborn sons. So when we sin, we can say, I'm sorry, and God doesn't say, it's okay, don't worry about it. He says, it's grievous, and I dealt with it. Now sin no more. He disciplines those he loves, but he disciplines us so that we might grow in Christ-likeness and see him for who he truly is and live as what we truly are. Put yourself in the Sunday gathering of the church in Ephesus as they heard this letter for the first time, and it's hard to do in an Americanized concept because we, we're way too conditioned for homogeneous people groups. We'll get into this downstairs. 
Imagine a, a gathering with the illiterate and the, the doctorate, with, with menial labors and titans of industry, with, with prostitutes and Pharisees, with people from every tribe and tongue and nation. And the Lord speaks as, as in the church you would have moments where a slave owner and his very slave gathered together for worship. Say, Pastor, where do you come up with that? Read Philemon. It'd be weird enough if you came to church and your employee came with you, wouldn't it? They'd be like, wait a minute. I work for Dan Hoover. That ain't the Dan Hoover I know. I'm joking because it should be the same Dan Hoover or Jim Rhodes or Jerry or Ken that we do know. That's the fear and tremble we're working for. But just picture it, the slave and his or her master sitting side by side. Paul has just spoken the Holy Spirit through Paul to husbands and wives in a society where husbands ran it and wives were basically just house slaves. And he says, husbands. Love your wife as I, Christ, love the church. Her sanctification is what you are after, and her well-being affects your well-being and wives. Don't enable your husband's sin, but submit to them as the church submits to Christ. For it presents a picture to the church and to the world of Christ and his bride. He says unto the congregation, Children, obey your parents for this is right. Parents, don't provoke your children to anger, but raise them up in the fear and admonition of the Lord. Don't outsource your responsibility, but pull it off biblically. And then he speaks to the workers, to the household structure, masters and slaves. Remember, you're one in Christ. You're gathered in the presence of your heavenly Father together today on the Lord's day. And when you return to the fields on Monday... Slaves, don't, don't just work when you're being watched. Don't do it by way of eye service. Don't do it to be a people pleaser. Remember your identity in Christ. You and your master are both slaves of God himself, but slaves who are also friends. So work with fear and trembling with a sincere heart as you would Christ, because that, in fact, is what you are doing. When you all go to work on Monday, do you know who you work for? Whatever you're doing, Jesus. Even, I'm looking at John, Mr. Retirement, making us all jealous here. Do you know who he still works for? Jesus. There's really no retirement in the kingdom of God. You, you work and work and work, but your work becomes restful. Because you're laboring in the Lord knowing that he is watching you doing his will from the heart. Masters, do the same to them. Stop your threatening. There's a danger when you have power. You can lord it over them. Does Jesus lord his power over his people? He doesn't set aside his power, but he uses it for our good. He's saying, masters, these are not pieces of property to do your bidding. These are image bearers, and you will give an account for how you care for them. 
You, you see, what's, what's amazing and, and mind-numbing and radically challenging to us as, as we kind of round this off here, I find most of us as believers err towards busyness or laziness as opposed to gospel obedience in the middle. And we have weird mixtures of it. Right? I, I think most people here are, are probably more on the busier side. You know, I, I don't imagine most of you are like going home from work at 1 o'clock on a Tuesday just to take a long nap. The danger with busyness is you're trying to do a ton of stuff for God, most of which is not done in the way God calls you to, nor what God calls you to. You know, let, let's say that, that I just, for some reason whatsoever, have a passion for drilling water wells in Mongolia. I have no idea, first, if there's a water shortage in Mongolia. I kind of know where Mongolia is, but I have a nephew with a map, and every time you ask me to take it out, he pushes it, and it sings the Mongolian national anthem. Mongolia! Blah, 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 blah. Anyway. So I, I decide I'm investing all of my time and all of my effort and all of my energies to drilling water wells in Mongolia. Because I want to bring water to the people of Mongolia that through that water I can point them to living water and I go and sell everything and I recruit a whole bunch of people and I start a not-for-profit business and we flood out Mongolia with water. But what if God never called me to do that? Got a lot of well-hydrated people who will probably end up going to hell. What does it profit a man if he gains a whole world but forfeits his soul? Well, let, let's say that, that I want to see an end to poverty in Chester County. And so I'm going to devote my life to engaging in underprivileged communities and helping establish educational programs and job opportunities so that we can rid the county of poverty. I'm going to make a difference with my life, folks. I'm going to end poverty in Chester County. And let's say that, that, that I started not-for-profit and recruit a whole bunch of people working for me, and, and we end up elevating some folks out of situations with a, let's call it a biblical understanding of how poverty and crime and family structure relate together. And, and we get people educated and in jobs and multi-generationally we end poverty in Chester County. Well, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world but forfeits his soul? Now, the other side of the equation is don't you dare tip to apathy and indifference. Don't walk by a homeless person and say, you know, yeah, one day you won't be homeless if you trust in Christ. Just hang in there. Oh, look at these poor kids. They can't read. They don't have parents in the home. They live in the foster care system. But you know what? You have a heavenly father in God. Good luck to you. People in Mongolia have no water. I think they have water in Mongolia. I don't know. Watch. Guys, I'll be leaving in six months for Mongolia. I should shut my mouth. Doesn't mean we go, oh, well. Oh, well. Not my problem. I got water. Read James. That's hard to pull off. Busyness. Laziness. Oh, well. Gospelized obedience looks like this. What does God call you to? Th think Ephesians 4, 5, and 6. Think of God's prioritization structure. You'll see why this book is so timely. When, when you grow up, don't, didn't you all have hopes and dreams? You know what I wanted to be when I was seven? A garbage man. You know why? First of all, 
my garbage men were very nice to me. I hung outside all the time when they came. I, in hindsight, I can't imagine what they thought of that little kid. Never mind. But the guy who hung on the back of the garbage truck, and then he got to pull that big black lever and just boom. You know, you know, you know like throw it on, and, and the driver's going, he's hanging one arm, one fit, pulling the lever. That was my aim. That was my goal. Now, in hindsight, unionized garbage workers in New York City might not have been a bit. Anyway, my mom didn't say to me when I was five, six, seven years old, Jonathan, good little Jewish boys don't grow up to be garbage men. But I didn't become a garbage man. As I matured in Christ, I'm not saying, I'm not saying sanitary workers are an immature profession by any means. I'm just saying it wasn't the profession God called me to. Can you imagine me with Purell and rubber gloves and garbage? <laughs> Stop the truck! I gotta wash! I think I touched something! <laughs> Take four days to get through one street. When we come to faith in Christ, as the old hymn goes, set your deadly doing down, down at Jesus' feet. Rest in him and him alone, glorious, complete. We, we die to self and live for his glory. It's no longer, God, here's what I want to do, bless my plans. It's, God, here I am, use me for your glory. Maybe it's to drill wells in Mongolia. Maybe it's to be a garbage man. Maybe it's to be a pastor. Maybe it's to be a stay-at-home mom. Maybe it's to be fill-in-the-blank. Maybe it's to be a bondservant of a master. Maybe it's to be a wife of a husband. Maybe it's to be a child of a parent. But here's how Ephesians works. Here's what the Lord is after. Here's what this builds to. And we'll see next week how we pull this off. God is very much painting a picture. And he's doing it through his people. And what he does is he equips his people to live as he has called his people in the places he has providentially placed them through his church, by his word, in the power of his spirit, so they might fulfill their callings, not only in the home, but in the world around them. The Lord raises people like a William Wilberforce or a John Newton. Do you guys know who those two men are? If not, I recommend a biography. There are so many good biographies about God working in the lives of his people. But think, John Newton, a man who was a slave trader, came to faith in Christ. What do you do as a slave trader when you come to faith in Christ? Do you know what you do? The same thing you do as a wife when you come to faith in Christ. The same thing you do as a kid when you come to faith in Christ. The same thing you do as a garbage man when you come to faith in Christ. You labor according to the word of God and the will of God for the glory of God. And then you see what God does through that as he providentially moves you through as you walk alongside him. You see, my friends, we, we want to leave a name for ourselves. Don't we all want to leave a legacy? Don't we all want to, deep down, have this fear that, you know, when we die, will anyone remember us? Well, will we have even made a difference? You know, there's a whole industry, a cottage industry of, and I, I like these to an extent, of, of books you can buy for your aging parents. They're biographical books that they can fill out. And what you do is you capture their story for generations to come. And I wish we had some of these in our family, because I was talking to my mom yesterday. I said, did, did Pa Davey, that was my pa's dad, my great-grandpa, did Pa Davey, uh, what, what grade did he go through in schooling? She goes, I don't know. It's like, you never asked? She's like, yeah, it just never crossed my mind. I want to I know those stories, right? But, but, 
People want to leave a legacy. They want to leave a history. They want to leave a name. Can I, can I tell you something? Here's the freedom you have in Christ. You don't need to. First and foremost, he knows my name. God himself knows my name and my person and my being, and he delights in me for all of eternity. And the freedom I have is not to have my name plastered across the top of a building. Trip Tower. No. The goal I should be able to rest most robustly in is to be a guy who lived a long, long time ago that nobody really remembers. But somehow, some people remember Jesus because of something that anonymous guy did. So that be we a slave or a master, a child or a parent, a wife or a husband, a pastor or a garbage man, a well driller or a banker. Whatever we do, we do for the glory of God. And the book of Ephesians is showing us in light of who we are and how we were saved. Don't be all busy in yourself with trying to change the world. You can't. Don't be all lazy disengaging from the world. That's not what you're called to. Enamor yourself with the Lord who is yours and whose you are, living in light of that identity. And let him use you as he so desires. And as you labor in him, marvel in his audacious goodness and kindness that he will reward your faithfulness. What kind of God is this? Now, I'm going to warn you next week, God willing, we're, we're going to look at this text. I'll, I'll read it to you and then we'll close here. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Now I want to give you all a homework assignment. For us to live out Ephesians 4, 5, in the beginning of 6, in light of Ephesians 1, 2, and 3, donning the armor of God is essential. But I'm going to suspect that most of you for all of your life have assumed this to be armor that you're to wear, devoid of realizing the fact that Jesus already wore this armor in your place. And so if you're up for the challenge as you're preparing yourself for the, the coming week or weeks, who knows how long we'll be in this section, Realize Paul is pointing the believers back to the Old Testament scriptures. And if you want to have some fun, some edifying, encouraging fun in the Lord for your sanctification and, and hopefully well-being of the church, spend some time looking through the Old Testament. Looking where did Jesus don this armor. For example, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm, stand therefore having fastened on the belt of truth. I wonder if somewhere in the book of Isaiah and in the Psalms, it talks about a coming savior who would not only wear the belt of truth, but who was the truth. And so I set that up because we're going to really dig into this, and I hope it's in a marvelously encouraging way. 
because it's as we don this armor, we're able to live in light of the difficulties of this fallen world for the glory of God. I'm going to land the plane because my back didn't seize up. I hope I talked some biblical truth to you today and the nonsense would be quickly forgotten. But my friends, what a joy we have not only to be in Christ, but to be able to labor for the glory of Christ wherever he has placed us in his providence. Lord Jesus, help us to see you for who you are. Lord Jesus, help us to understand the thoughts and intentions of our heart so we might land them biblically. Lord, when we see wrong as your people, we want to see right. When we see suffering, we want to see security. When we see poverty, we want to see riches. When we see harm, we want to see healing. When we see people without, we want to see people with, and there's something appropriate about that. Lord, as we think of of James' letter, help, help us to be attentive to those who don't have clothes and don't have money and don't have means, and the widows and the orphans, because you call us to be attentive to them. But help us to care for them as you call us to. If we see a person in need of a cloak, let us cloak them with the cloak with which we have, not just physically, but offer them our cloak spiritually. But Lord, keep us in our place. Allow us to walk with the proper humility of understanding that you don't call us not only to save the world nor to fix the world, but to be salt and light in the world to be used by you as you intend. Lord, you don't call your people who are slaves to run away, though you do tell them in Scripture that if there is a way for them to legally find their freedom, they should find their freedom. And at times that could even mean running away. But Lord, the goal isn't to simply get away. The goal is to glorify you each and every day. Lord Jesus, in light of the past several weeks in Ephesians end of 5 and 6, help us to live mutually submitted to one another as your church, to live mutually submitted as your people in the home, as husbands and wives, parents and children, and in the workplace. For Lord, when we go to work on Monday, whatever we do on the weekdays, if rightly seen, should be doing your will for your glory. Lord God, I pray that there would be fruit born through your word today. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would minister to us, that you would implant upon our hearts what you desire, that you would nourish it and bear fruit through it, so that we might more fully not only have the joy of walking with you, but have joy of being with you as yours. Lord Jesus, this world is confusing and hard, for too often we live by sight and not by faith. We say things like, wouldn't it be great if Jesus would come back and spend some time with us? But Lord Jesus, you told us you would never leave us nor forsake us, for you are with us by your Spirit in our presence at this moment. Lord God, help us to live in light of truth, to hear you through your word, to allow you to comfort us by your spirit through your people, 
to live our lives for your glory and marvel at what you will do through us, even greater things than Jesus did, as he tells us in the Gospels, understood properly and landed biblically. Lord God, help us to be salt and light in this world. Help us as we find people captive to slavery of things, addictions, captive in in relationships of evil intents. Help us to be able to set them free, but in such a way that we can be used by you to set them free from the greater slavery to sin, the flesh, and the devil. Lord Jesus, allow us to see ourselves a bit more clearly today in light of who we truly are. Allow us to see one another a bit more clearly today in light of who they truly are. But most of all, Lord Jesus, allow us to see you a bit more clearly in light of who you truly are, a gaze that we will spend all of eternity never completing. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for your word, for your love, for your faithfulness, for the fact that we are yours because you have made us such. In your holy and precious name we pray. Amen.